Hello, and welcome to the Caffeinated Librarians, Mayapak Public Library's Pop Culture Podcast. And today we are going to be continuing our romantic comedy series with my pick, Phantom Thread. And uh, first, let's just get introductions out of the way. I'm Joe. I'm Louis. Katie. Amanda. Ben. And I'm Lisa. All right. And, the dream uh, team. <laughs> Is this a romantic comedy? Well, uh, whatever. Maybe I bet the the meaning a little there, but there's a romance in it, and it's I laughed. So <laughs> I can't even. I don't know where to begin. I was never. I would have never watched this movie. It seemed like Same. the driest, most boring thing through the trailer. I like. I love Daniel Day Lewis. He's like the standard of the greatest actor and all that. But I would have never, ever gone to see this. This was the most. I felt swept up. Like, the movie was carrying me from the first shot. P.T. Anderson, I think you even mentioned this over a year ago, talking about this movie on this podcast, how he, like, just, like, broke levels of directing quality. Like, he just, I was, yeah, blown away. But also, can I just say this out of the gate? Dan DeLewis deserved his Oscar nomination. He was eaten alive in every scene by, um, by Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Leslie Manville? Leslie Manville, yeah. Yeah. She was the best actor in the whole movie. Cyril's such a commanding presence in this. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, To give a little plot rundown quick, uh, Reynolds Woodcock is a renowned dressmaker in 1950s London, and he sort of runs his business with his sister Cyril, who is very, very tough. She she knows her you know, and she's, she's gonna, she's in charge. Uh, he uh, has terrible relationships with women, and, uh, and people in general. Yes, yeah. he's he's an extremely fussy and annoying man-child, uh, <laughs> and he uh, he falls for a waitress named Alma, who he makes his muse. But Alma uh, has has a strong will, and Alma is going to love him the way she wants to. <laughs> She's gonna change it. <laughs> She's like, I can fix him. Oh my god, the way, well I don't want to jump to the ending, but that sick way everybody gets what they want is like, I couldn't, Amazing. yeah, so we'll spoil it later. I, I'm in the same boat as Ben, I never would have watched this movie, um, Joe had actually recommended this movie several times uh, throughout, since we've known each other. It, it, it's a minor obsession of mine. <laughs> and uh, this gave me the, this prompted me to finally watch it. And um, you, know, you know, that opening shot of Alma sitting there with just like the fire flickering, you're almost like, oh my God, this is gonna be like, like, a, like a psychological thriller or something like that. Like it hooked me right there. And then um, when I realized that it was, while I, I, I agree, I think I think romantic comedy might be a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. When I realized that it was more on the comedic side was when um, that uh, Reynolds first, the girlfriend that you see him with at the beginning is sitting there, and then when she leaves, they're basically like, "Oh, let's give her a dress of severance." Like yeah. I was like, "Wow, okay." And then you get right into it, and you realize the kind of person that Reynolds is. That scene where like uh, Alma brings him tea, and he's like, "Why are you doing this? What are you bringing this tea for?" 
and he's like, please take it out. And she's like, it's leaving. He's like, please, please, whatever. It's too late. And the tea is leaving, but the distraction, distraction is still here. right here with me. <laughs> yes. like, he's such a... Yeah. So the breakfast scene is my favorite, though, where she's making all the noise. All right. <laughs> but yeah, we talked about this. She's being kind of annoying. She's so annoying. <laughs> I don't blame him. When, first off, all right, I mean, how toasted is that bread? Uh, that guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing, Alma? And then when they, again, jumping way forward at the end when they're eating breakfast together, also, she's like biting the spoon. On the honeymoon? Oh, yeah. Where he looks like he wants to jump off the yeah. cliff in Lake Como. I, I wanted to, too. That's my ick. I was like, this woman yeah. is so annoying. She's uh, doing it on purpose. I'm kind of on her side, though. I feel like if you want to have silence, you should be eating alone. Fair. You're at the table. People are there. There's butter and toast. Still, no one taught her table manners. Like, at all. <laughs> well, she's not, like, from a posh, you know, li- like, no. silver spoon family where, she you know. She was still handling her cutlery they, That she has. <laughs> she was still handling you, cutlery like, like she was posh. You so. know what scene? Look, some people make peanut butter sandwiches, peanut butter jelly sandwiches the wrong way. And there are people who do it the right Wait, way by using. The right Look, everyone has their pet peeves. It's an analogy I use in my life because my sister is terrible at making like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. She takes a piece of bread and she just goes like this with a knife for the peanut butter. Some people just weren't taught how to do things properly. Well, but but they're trying their best. The dinner, she was still eating her food proper. What's the wrong way? Yeah. <laughs> like, I put peanut butter to the edges of both You're supposed to like bread, smear it. Like, then I put the jelly on top and then I put it together. That's, so that's a big brain strategy. I've been, I've, I've just been doing one side peanut butter, one side jelly. Yeah, I feel like the best way to do it is to done. never eat <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. See, you know, I don't want them mixed together. You don't like peanut butter and jelly? He doesn't, and it's weird. It's okay. I only weird. like okay. peanut butter sandwiches. I didn't I like jelly either. They're a midnight Wait, wait, you have a texture issue with jelly, not with peanut butter? Yeah, but peanut butter is very nice high quality peanut butter with a Marion blackberry jam. Like that is not Ooh. Oh, you got the high class it's peanut butter and like jelly. Yeah, I'm not seven. I, I, I think this is showing us there's a little Reynolds woodcock inside. <laughs> there's always something that's going to annoy somebody else, especially when you're starting a new relationship and you especially don't know the person you're dating. This is like a, a one night stand turned into a relationship kind of deal. It's yeah. like, I didn't really know you, but why don't we date? Uh, Amanda, you were mentioning that she's not from like a posh upbringing. Yeah. And some, one scene that really jumped out at me this time, mm-hmm. I've seen this movie a bunch, but I never really thought twice about mm-hmm. it, is that scene when the princess is in the house to get her wedding dress made. And Alma goes up to her and starts talking to her. And the princess is kind of like... What, what is this? Like, she's giving polite enough responses, but she's like, really? Like, why is the servant talking to me? And then yeah. Alma's just like, I live here. This is my house. Like, oh, interesting. See, I didn't, I didn't read it that way. I read that scene more like she was threatened by how beautiful the princess was. I think that's part of it, too. But yeah, I do think Alma wants to pull, like, hey, like, this is my house. Like you're she's my. She's now the hostess. Yeah. It's it's her. She's trying to. So throughout the whole entire thing, as much as we see Alma being annoying as she is, she is trying to get a level of control. I didn't think she was annoying. That's how I saw it. Was yeah. her getting? They a thought level she of was. Annoying. Yes. <laughs> They're wrong. They are wrong. Um, 
she like from that scene alone it's like she's already solidifying her place as no no this is even though we might not be married this is my house she knows where she is and she knows how to get what she wants I, and pushing buttons is her favorite thing to do per- perfect example of alma's power plays uh early on uh, when she she's relegated to sleep in her own room, her and Reynolds can't share a bedroom yet. And then they're at that dinner, and Reynolds is mean to some people who like are fans of his, and Alma is just like making eyes at him. And then there's this hysterical cut to him driving home like a maniac, <laughs> <laughs> and then them going into his bedroom, and it's just like oh. She staked her claim. She got into the bedroom. Mm-hmm. She she brought the relationship to the level she wanted it to be at. And it's that's and that's how the movie kind of like goes for the entire course. Is it's the relationship that he might not have felt comfortable with, but with her around, it's been like constant challenging. It's it's a power struggle. Yeah, she wanted him yeah. tender and defenseless and soft, and he wanted mommy back. She yeah. wanted yeah. to be needed. So, she became nursing mommy. Yeah. <laughs> she fixed him. And, yeah. <laughs> the one who got fixed. <laughs> that is so brilliantly sick. Yes. It is. Yes. And so, I was happy at the end. I so, wasn't like, this is up. Folks, I, you know, this is always a spoiler podcast. So let's just drop the, the big thing about this movie, <laughs> which is that halfway through, Alma, uh, to sort of get Reynolds to a place where she feels he needs to be, uh, to be, you know, sort of tender and defenseless and taken care of for once because he's he refuses any and all help aside from the, the rituals that are designed to help him. And uh, she begins poisoning him with uh, poison mushrooms she finds in the forest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so wonderful. And then he begins to like it, yeah. which is yes. where it gets like, yeah. Well, that scene with the mushroom omelet also... I remember the cook saying that he doesn't like too much butter on his mushrooms. Oh, she's putting so much, much butter. butter. That's one of the best scenes. He's like, I don't like butter on my mushrooms. He watching <laughs> yeah, I was just yeah. say, He knows exactly what she's doing. Because she just keeps putting it on there. He's sitting there watching her. Watching and her with the book. And there's that f***ing shot where he takes the bite and he's just perfectly still with the fork sticking out. And you don't know if he's going to like... I've got you. You're poisoning me. You don't know what's gonna happen. It was like the. It was just like the most when she, gleeful, tension-filled ten seconds. When she pours the water and then she's oh, going yeah. really high with it. <laughs> she's just trying to annoy him. And it's starting to like turn him on. He's yeah. like, "This is. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy." He likes the fact that she pushes back though. Like he yeah. gets mm-hmm. on it. He's in a career where, like, you know, he's ultra famous for these dresses, and things have to be perfect. And things have to be in place and complacent and obedient. And she's the wild card factor here. <laughs> no, Leslie Manville kept him. Like, she was the tra- grounding when, force. When yeah. he tries to like complain to her about something and she's just like, Don't come no, at me, I'll run through don't, you. Yeah. Don't pick a fight with me. Yeah. I will go right through you and you'll be the one who ends up on the floor. Like, yeah. <laughs> I also wonder what his mother was like. It was like uh, Very strong women. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's that scene when his 
you see like the the ghost of his mother when mm-hmm. he's really sick, and then Alma comes in yeah. the room and she, the mother's just still there in the background. It's always fascinating to see scenes where, and I only know it predominantly in like you know a lot of the anime movies and shows that I watch of like what it's like how people hallucinate when they're sick, like really sick during like a cold or a fever of some kind. And it's always like, it's a good way to bring about like what that person wants the most, because when you're sick and you're lying in bed and you want to be taken care of, the first thing that comes to your mind is the person you want most. Mm -hmm. And it shows just how much you cared for that person or needed that person. So it's a perfect way to, this is a side note. It really has nothing to do with the subject. Um, But I learned in class the other day that ever like go on like a you've been up for twenty four hours and then you haven't just stay up for like six seven eight hours more, and like there's a window of time towards the end of that where you feel kind of invincible, like you just feel like fully like like euphoric. Have you ever had that? Where you've yes. gotten past the point of super tired and you feel like yes invincible. Yeah, your brain starts pumping out the the chemicals. So what's going on is your brain that thinks that the only reason you're awake is because you're being like chased by a pack of wolves and you're about to die and so it's doing things to keep you awake to keep you surviving and it's actually really bad for you because there's a very finite amount of those chemicals your body has is that why i was just gonna say let's stay up but we've done a college do the russian sleep experiment yeah 36 hours to finish a term project and yeah oh yeah my honor senior thesis finished that at 3 a.m Mm-hmm. That you started at 2 a.m. Th- two days earlier and just oh, went straight I through. I started at 5 p.m. the day before. Oh, that's not that bad. Yeah. It was a 30-page paper. I was going to say, that's, that's just very impressive work. Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. yeah. You were focused, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was delirious by the end of it. So this movie was shot in, was that Robin Hood's Bay? Is that what I was looking at, that I, part of England? I don't know. I don't know anything about England. <laughs> I think it's called Robin Hood's Bay. It's this part on the edge of... Um, I don't know which region it is. I forget. I think it's I think it's a, a Yorkshire area, but like on by the water. But we there was they were also in Switzerland. Yeah, when they go on their honeymoon. And but that was so both shots were Switzerland. One of them wasn't Lake Como, Italy, right? I don't know. All right, yeah, me neither. Because I was like, this balcony looks eerily like that balcony from Tenet. Okay. But that was Lake Como. So anyway, I'm curious about that. And Robin Hood's Bay is just like picturesquely beautiful England like I mean every part of England is basically that but Robin Hood's Bay is like kind of special there's like pirate coves there yeah sorry I'm also uh, if we're going to talk about where they're living or the locations and stuff what was with that house it's crazy like how many floors was that house a million oh it's the, at least like three, three or four yeah. bigger on the it's inside like a house that takes up most of the block yeah, like, they, like the workers just are like downstairs. Like yeah. it, it's the whole house is just. Wild. He lives in a mansion. Like <laughs> I was out of breath watching them go up the stairs. You know, you've never seen Downton Abbey. No, there's plenty of yeah, yeah. lots of stairs. There's so upstairs, many downstairs, stairs. Yeah. So main <laughs> floors stairs. and top floors and. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's even yeah. like the Gilded Age in America. Mm-hmm. The, those are normal houses that take up an entire block of a city. How was that show? Anybody watch that? I am. Um, now you know everyone was skinny. It's very good. I was yeah. talking about like history, but yeah, the show. Is, I yeah, well, there's the Gilded Age show. Yeah, yeah. they did. 
So is, what's the what era does the Gilded Age take place? It's the Second Industrial Revolution. So yeah, that's what it's. So like in New York, what was the years? It'd be it's the 1890. Yeah, it's the 1910 yeah. ish. You could push it to like. So it's essentially like post Civil War, right before the First World War. So Gangs in New York is taking place during the Gilded Age. Good movie. Yeah. I, I guess I don't. It takes place another, right another after basically right after Lincoln. And slavery. A, that would be the emancipation, right? Like before, before it. yeah. Yeah. All right. So, like John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie, that is the Second Industrial Revolution. Well, our first, but yeah, that is the Gilded Age of America. That's why I usually say 1890 to 1910 because it's like the big boom. But it is technically right after the Civil War, just like a decade after. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. I had an obsession with the Gilded Age. So, I can understand. Yeah. I know a lot about it. Mm-hmm. I know a lot about those people. Was the Age of Innocence the Gilded Age? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And that is based on a work by the same author as the Gilded Edith Age. Edith Wharton. Is based off of. Mm-hmm. Yes. The writer that never lets their people be together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Another Daniel Day Lewis movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've got to keep it all in yeah. context. Yeah. He's obsessed with the Gilded Age. Yeah. I don't know too much about it, honestly. It seems like a, a fun era. I think, uh, I think like, I think if you're ridiculous, right. evil mm-hmm. political boss figures are really funny. Like, yeah. Boss Tweed, I think, oh, is, yeah. is just a funny guy <laughs> in the concept. Yeah, just like, everybody knows this guy is corrupt, yeah. but... <laughs> boss the Tweed. propaganda and political cartoons from that era, too, because it's, like, essentially a lot of fun. the boom of what we think of as tabloids now because you have the muckrakers going in and describing what is going on and ripping these people that are captains of industry and revealing the fact, oh no, they're robber barons. They're starving people to feed themselves. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever want to know about the Gilded Age, just let me know. I also have like a 24-hour docu-series that I love very much. Some of it's wrong, but for the most part it's great. Like you made it? No. Oh. I I wouldn't put it past you to have made that. No. All right. No, I don't. It'd be, it'd be funny if you were talking about something you made, and you're like, yeah, I yeah. put some lies in there, but. The Gilded Age was my specialty in high school and then, like, into college. And then once I started undergrad my first couple of years, I was focused on post-colonialism, so that pushed me out of that, and then I became an early modernist. Post-colonialism. Last Mohicans. Also another Daniel day Lewis. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis has done everything. You know, let's just make, like, a history course. Make a syllabus. Let's just Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, How much it's like that community episode, but it's... History of chemical weaponry. I did teach a course on that. That was... You used to make bombs in the troubles in, in the name of the father. Another Daniel Day-Lewis movie. Which I absolutely love. Daniel, what are you doing? How can we get there will be blood into this? We've just stumbled across a conspiracy, uh, clearly. I mean, he's a robber baron. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's right in that era. That's true. Yep, yep. He didn't want people to succeed, just like his character in this movie that we watched. Phantom Thread. Another Daniel. The music in this movie. Spot on. So this is where I... I, one of my struggles with P.T. Anderson, and I, I haven't watched all of his stuff, was that I couldn't pin down a style. But it clicked for me, this one, between Punch Drunk Love and Phantom Thread, how the whole movie is sweeping you along with this, like, kinetic, like, beautiful soundtrack that's, like, carrying you through each frame to the next scene. So everything feels like this perfectly connected, like, 
phantom thread. No. Oh. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, I really thought the music was like a guiding force through the movie, and it was, um, yeah, I, I don't know really how to describe it without saying Phantom Thread now for some reason, but um, it's like they planned it, it was, uh, it w- I was really, really into the music. Um, Johnny, just a beautiful score. Yeah. Johnny Greenwood is like one of my favorite film composers. Like, it's so cool that he's just one of the Radiohead guys. Like, oh, yeah, I like Wait. The same Radiohead guy that went and did uh, the remake of Suspiria? Yeah, uh, no, Tom York did the Suspiria soundtrack. Oh, okay. Also yeah. a Radiohead guy. Yes, yeah, he's the singer. Greenwood's the guitarist. And he has funny anime hair. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, that was my connection, was um, Punch Drunk Love, Phantom Thread. I finally think I can see a P.T. Anderson style. The intimacy of this movie was... Like, I think I would, if I ever made a movie, I would steal the, it's not just close-ups. They're like close-upping no, these things that you don't normally record in, in a in a film. So it's, he served as his own cinematographer for this, which is exceedingly rare. That's not really a thing directors do very often. But uh, so his, like the camera work in this is odd and I love it. it it's just, yeah. He... You can read about it on, like, Wikipedia and stuff, but, like, he pushed the film stock, so it, it pretty much was, like, overdeveloped to try and make it, like, a little, look a little dirtier. Like a 70s almost. film. Yeah. That vibe, yeah. Yeah, he, he was very clear. He's like, I don't want this to be, like, a clean period piece. Like, the, I want this to feel, like, lived in. Mm-hmm. Right, it was... Well, it definitely felt... Yeah. It definitely felt that way, for sure. It was absolutely beautiful. And I tend to not really admire, like face close-ups as like cinema but i can't say that anymore because what he did was extraordinary just like the ice of leslie leslie manville's eyes and she's always like put up against a bright blue sky in the background or gray sky in the background just to pierce you even more so speaking of her the the scene where alma goes to her and says that she wants to have that do that surprise for Reynolds. It's not his birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and she she was like, I strongly advise against that. And you're sitting there like, this <laughs> like, just let her let her surprise him. And then the surprise happens, it completely backfires, and you're like, oh, maybe she was like looking out for her. Cause, she's like, very fond of Alma. Well, yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Later on. Yeah, Cyril's like, mm-hmm. yeah, just tough, but like, yeah. she does like Alma. Yeah. 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 And also, I think that needed to happen because Alma was going to not be like the rotation of every other person yeah. in his life. She was yeah. going to break all his molds. I just, the dinner scene is just such like a breaking point in this movie. Well, I saw this in theaters like opening night and it was one, one of the best theater experiences I've had because like mm-hmm. when it started, people were like tense. People were like, what is happening? What is going on? Is this a psychological thriller? What, what's going on here? And then it, gradually people started like nervously laughing. And then around the dinner scene when he shows up at the top of the stairs with like his pajamas on and then a vest and a suit. Like people were like, okay. And then of course the whole asparagus 
incident and I'm also kind of sympathetic to him for that because asparagus with oil and salt is much better than with butter. I tend to agree. Yeah. But still it depends. You know, I, would, I, I would not admire my own gallantry for eating it like that. <laughs> he also only took one bite. Yeah. And he's playing with it, like yeah. examining it like hmm. What else has Alma been in? I don't I've never seen her before. Uh she was in old after this. Uh I'm not sh- I think she's been in like European stuff mainly. Okay. She's very very good. Like and I love it's that like pretty amazing to be like a young pretty new actress and go up against Daniel Day yeah, right? and yeah. come out like looking great. I imagine he's like such a team player in that sense like he's method but he really connects with a person in a mm-hmm. moment in a scene and and elevates them is my guess but then again I say that but he got absolutely annihilated by Leslie Manville like she basically <laughs> as an actor talent almost put him in his in his uh, slot said here you go young man stay there it's funny that you say that too because that was that was one of the things that I was thinking about the whole time like like I all, all I know about Daniel Day-Lewis is that he's a method actor like, yeah, that's what they always say about him. So, like, I was like, is he, like, during filming this, was he, like, in a trailer somewhere, like, you know, demanding, like, you know, asparagus, uh, asparagus with, salt. <laughs> with salt and oil and... Or just being, like, standoffish to everybody. Yeah, yeah, I was actually, like, I'm curious about that. So there's this one scene in the beginning where he's uh, polishing his shoe. He actually quit acting before for, like, six years or something and went to oh, Italy yeah. and learned how to be a... Um, Cobbler. Really? Yeah. Oh, a great second so he act. <laughs> genuinely is a apparently high-level cobbler in real life. Wow. Yeah. He's clearly a man of many skills at this well, point. <laughs> after this movie, he retired from acting. So. And his uh, sister, brilliant uh, chef, has like all really? these really good, Thomas and Day-Lewis. Yeah, really oh. good cookbooks. Wow. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Fun fact about Dan. Do we go into favorite Dan Day-Lewis performances? Uh, there's a really, I just want to talk about a really good blooper from this movie. Which is crazy that a movie like this has any bloopers. But, I would hope it does. <laughs> but there's one part where it's like them at breakfast, they start having a food fight, and it's hysterical. I, I highly recommend looking it up. <laughs> it's just like, a, all right. That's not a deleted scene, that's a blooper? I think it's a blooper. Okay. And he's like in character? Yeah, he's in oh, characters, wow. Reynolds. Like, they all pretty much keep character. Wow, yeah. cool. Wow. That's Leslie Manville, by the way, if you want to see her being brilliant again, it's this f- six-part BBC series called River. Uh, it's with Stellan Skarsgård and uh, Nicola Walker. And it's, I mean, you think it's just going to be some, like, you know, cop procedural, but it's really, really deep. It came out in, like, 2015, 2016. It's beautiful. And Leslie Manville crushes it. And she crushes it as um, Princess Margaret in the last couple seasons of The Crown. Oh. I still have to watch The Crown. She was very good in Mrs. Crown. Harris Goes to Paris. She was really good in that really bad movie. You know what's frustrating? Let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris was filmed entirely in... Um, oh, God. That big city in Hungary. Budapest. Oh. It wasn't Paris. Oh, that's weird. And it didn't look like Paris. It looked like we were in an you know, ancient Ottoman Central Europe city. And well, I mean, yeah. Is that Paris? Well, 
No, I've been to Budapest, Budapest. Yeah, and yeah. I can honestly tell you it is it does not look like Paris at all. <laughs> I hated that movie so much. So the reason wow. why she okay. was great, she yeah. was lovely. The whole movie comes down to the, it's supposed to be the story about how you know kind of she's like the savant. She's you know can do all these things. She's lovely. She they strengthens the team. They go into the office at the end to talk to the bosses, the two male bosses. And we're supposed to be happy because they're like, okay, ladies, get out of here. We'll figure this out. And the two men make the decisions for everyone at the end. I'm just like, this is, this is the solve? This is the happy ending? The whole thing about empowering like, this person who was just a simple, good, gifted human being and all these hardworking women in the, 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 the shop. And they were literally like, Get out, ladies. I, look, I, have, I don't know anything about Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, aside from the name of Leslie Mandel. But I have one friend who's a big Mrs. Harris head, and he's going to be very upset with you. <laughs> he, no, it's a very a popular real, book series. If he's yeah. a big Mrs. Harris head, he's going to be like, wait a minute. That's a pretty good point. <laughs> he's like, Ben's right. <laughs> Mind blown. But Leslie Mandel was, was lovely in it, yes. as, always, as she always is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, favorite Daniel Day-Lewis performance. I, I'm a huge, huge fan of There Will Be Blood. I love that movie. He really does like playing really disreputable human beings. Yeah. I think it's fun. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's always fun to be, like, the villain. I'm probably going to have Villains have better character building, in my opinion. I hate hero yeah. characters. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I swear, like, his character in Last of the Mohicans... And granted, looking back on it, it's a story about Native Americans, but really it's about a white guy running through the woods. Oh. It's still like, <laughs> I think, I, that, that like was one of those characters that made me like really want to be involved in movies and acting and all that. Like, well, he was just so cool. So my white favorite, I, I don't have a favorite. I have two favorites, and it's The Last of the Mohegans and In the Name of the Father. What about The Boxer? Mm. I don't think I saw The Boxer. Yes. His next movie with that same director. They did the three movies together. Which movie? Which? Jim Sheridan. So he did My Left Foot, The mm-hmm. Name of the Father, and The Boxer. Okay. And they all, you know, The Boxer's also about the troubles, but it's in the 90s. And, uh, okay. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should watch it. Then. I've only seen two of his movies, and that would be this one and Lincoln. So I don't think... I never saw Lincoln. Lincoln was good. He's... Phenomenal in it. Yeah. That was about that, Lincoln. That's that era of Steven Spielberg where I feel like <laughs> he just every time I put a movie on of his in that era, it's like it's Sudafed. Lincoln's good. Sudafed that you uh, Lincoln's works. good. He had, no, he had a rough twenty ten. Well, I won't I will not deny Lincoln earlier oh, he was on when I started on the podcast because I saw it in my AP US history class and one of the girls in my class got really upset that someone told her Lincoln dies at the end. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm I mean, do I they actually show that? that part in the movie? Yeah. It seems yeah. like a silly thing to add. It's about his accomplishments as a... They actually end with the... I don't remember. I wow. mean, I don't... I mean, six cent for Tyrannus, like, but... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like implied that... Well, you see, like, there's yeah. a bullet in his head. Mm-hmm. So. The whole movie? That's the big twist. Is yeah. That, uh, He's been dead the whole time. <laughs> or is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh God! What's the what's the assassin's name? I can't remember now. Booth. Yeah. 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 John yeah. William Booth. Booth didn't do it. He just his head was like that. Yeah. That's what the. She's like an Oliver Stone version of Lincoln. <laughs> oh my God. 
I think we need to give Oliver Stone another like whole <laughs> half a billion to make a make a wildly insane conspiracy movie. Right. His uh, JFK is getting a 4K Blu-ray release this month. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I've never seen it. It's Oliver Stone's a blind spot for me. I've only seen a handful of his stuff. I've only seen Alexander. I love that one though. That's a I, good one. Do you is it Alexander? Is it the director's cut? Is it Alexander Revisited or is it Alexander the Final Cut? I only saw Alexander. I've seen the director's cut. It's the only one I've seen. Well, Alexander Revisited is the uh, the best rendition. Who revisited it? Oliver Stone. Oh. And he recut it. He reshaped the sequences and added about 48 minutes to oh. the movie. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure that's on cuz my sister is obsessed. So we have that gigantic box set with everything in the it. The Ultimate Edition? I think so. Well, that's the good one. Yeah, that's that's like the top tier one. It has Alexander revisited, and they shaved about two minutes off. Yeah. By the way, speaking of history, how good does the Napoleon movie look? I don't even care if it's going to be terrible. It's Ridley Scott, and that's like my that's my. You think hero. it's going to be bad? I think it's going to be... I think it's... So here's... This is what always happens with Ridley Scott historical epics. He releases it in theaters, and people go, eh. Oh, yeah? And then he releases his four-hour director's cut, <laughs> and everyone's like, this is great. Yeah. So he did it with Kingdom of Heaven. Even, like, Robin Hood had, like, a 25-minute longer director's cut that people were like, this one doesn't suck. And he did it with, um, oh, God, what's another one? that he? His, the Ridley Scott director's cut is, like, always... Better. The why counselor. Don't, why don't was, they just let him do his thing then? Um, well, he. They will never let him cook. <laughs> and I think honestly, I think after Kingdom of Heaven bombed at the box office, something broke in him, and he just became an efficiency monster, oh, yeah. and just became up make, making as many movies as he can, and making it as digestible as possible. So even movies like Prometheus, like got kind of less That's good because yeah. he eliminated just, this entire like axe battle between uh, Elizabeth Shaw and the. Yeah. And the and the engineer, yeah. and because he said, well, no, it would make the engineer look weak. It's like, well, no, dude, he just crash landed. Yeah, like he's okay to be messed up. I don't know. I go on this forever. I just, yes. I, I wish he would lay off the uh, the color grading a bit. It does look. Let the blue. colors yeah. glow. Yeah. He did that when when he made a Blu-ray of Kingdom of Heaven. Everything was literally blue. So ugly, and then he fixed it later on. But yeah. I'm going to see it on day one. I think Ridley Scott movies are like my happy place. Yeah. Uh, but I think when he releases his four-hour version on Apple TV, yeah, yeah that's going to be great. You're going to buckle up for that. I can see it now. Sorry, I'm, I feel like I'm commandeering this. I'm going to stop talking after this. Um, they're going to eliminate basically most of Vanessa Kirby's character in the theatrical cut. And then we're going to find out that she was actually more important than Napoleon in the four-hour cut. Oh, yeah. That's, well, that's my prediction. Yeah. In the trailer, she's pretty prominent. Yeah. 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 She's prominent in the trailer. Let's see if they... I haven't seen the trailer. I try not to watch trailers anymore. I feel like my experience with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning was, like, amplified to level 10 because I refused to watch the trailer. Yeah. We only watch the first one, and then we don't do it. If we're excited for it, just watch the one trailer, but when it comes, like, the first trailer that comes out, and then leave it alone. I have a question for you. So there's apparently a lot of historians are going hard at Ridley Scott right now 
for not following the proper history oh, of okay. Napoleon. And so some battle, uh-huh. there's like a myth of Napoleon, of something he did that isn't really true. But Ridley Scott apparently saw this myth and was like, we're going with it. We're uh-huh. doing it. What is the myth? That's your homework. That's my homework. You're going to make it. Let me. us know on the next you're episode. You're talking to the girl whose history is like medieval history. And yet oh, you're talking about Napoleon. Just What's that the would myth? Be That's your homework. <laughs> I'm like, her She's knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> Please report back. Yeah. She could do homework, but, too, but... Uh, I, I focus on women's health care, so I will... You know, let's... There's a Google it. Google it, Amanda. I don't need to Maybe The myth that everyone believes about Napoleon is that he was short, but he was 5'7". Yeah, he was actually at average height for a man back then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Maybe. he made some really horrible decisions. Yeah. You know Unless the myth is it. that he, in the tricks, I only saw it in the trailer, is that he lured a, a, uh, a an opposing force onto uh, a frozen... That is, is in it the, the trailer. Yeah. 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 They stole that from do that? King Arthur in 2004, by the way. <laughs> um, in the frozen lake, and then bombarded the lake with cannon fire. Did he not do that? That does not sound. That real. doesn't sound like no, anything that does he did. Not sound something that's even mm. like logical for him to have done. No. It also doesn't sound like something Ridley Scott would do to his own English because uh, this is the he same. always There's makes the fun one of the about French. The unless nose unless it's when he he's in Russia. Mm. Unless he, unless that's that's when Napoleon tries to invade Russia and it's and a complete freezes, disaster. Yeah. yeah. So what well, won me over the right. second trailer? Don't watch it, but you should watch it because there's this shot of them entering near the pyramids and i've just you see the pyramids in a lot of films well that's probably what amanda's talking about then that might be yeah there's the rumor that he shot off the nose of the sphinx which is not true no but there's yeah no nothing's actually happening it's just this beautiful shot of them like him riding on a horse as the pyramids are like rising like in front of him it's just that's why i love ridley scott he figures out these ways to give you something that you've seen a thousand times but now it feels new and fresh and mighty and yeah you're gonna miss him when he's gone he's 86 he doesn't have many movies left Mm -hmm. after after this his movie's gladiator 2 and then he's doing a western interesting he's gonna be 90 probably gonna retire i'm done i'm sorry guys i talked too much today um, my favorite Daniel Day-Lewis film. Uh, I've only ever seen two or three at this point. Uh, Gangs of New York is really good. Uh, he was in The Crucible as John Proctor he in the was, 1996 movie, he too. He was in The Crucible. So, so yeah, I have seen that one. three. So, special, special mention there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've been waiting to <laughs> say <Did> that I, one. <laughs> that was the only one that didn't say it. So I'm over here like, ah! Crucible was written by Daniel Day-Lewis's father-in-law. Was it really? Man, there's this controversy around Wait. Daniel Day Lewis for married to Rebecca Miller. I'm oh, <laughs> everything's <it is>. connected. <laughs> Stick with me. I'll teach you things. Yeah, I had no clue. But uh, yeah, this is probably my favorite Daniel Day Lewis role. If I'm being honest, yeah. He was wonderful. I mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was also really good in one of my other favorite movies, Room with a View. Even though he's not the star of that movie, I feel like I love. Yeah, that movie's yeah. lovely. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Martin Scorsese <laughs> watched a room with a view and was like, "We need to take this character and make him sexy." Yeah. And then he made uh, Age of Innocence. Age of Innocence. Yeah. 
Yeah, actually, that's a fair assumption. Mm-hmm. <laughs> make him hotter. Yeah, just take this guy, make him hot. Although, make him hot. and then after, no, it was between that, there was the movie um, Unbearable Lightness of Being. Mm-hmm. Where it was like him and Lena Olin, and it was in uh, Prague during uh, Cold I'm going to be honest, mm-hmm. that title makes me not like the movie on site. I don't know anything about it. I've never heard of it, but I, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> One of those, the, those the, the, the tiny things we know to be true kind of titles that are just like... Things uh, we lost in the fire. Yeah, like this doesn't feel right. Nandor, Fandor, and the... <laughs> I forget the name of that. It's a long title. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was just the name itself, Nandor, Fandor. <laughs> and I'm like, that sounded like something you made up for a second, but if it's a real movie, then that's it. We're looking it up. Man. Everything, everywhere, all at once. All those movies that wouldn't be good unless they had a long title. Yeah, that's a good. Nandor, yeah, Fodor, and the Talking Mongoose. That's what it was. It was a this year film. Oscars. Uh, We've hit our impasse. We out of thoughts. Did we digress too much from uh, Phantom Thread? I mean, we can we can bring it back if you'd like. Let's reel it back in. Let's talk about how 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 crazy is that breakfast order? Oh, I know. Literally anything. You made me hungry. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, everything makes me hungry. <laughs> Any like scene of food with a poached egg on <laughs> top. It's so wasteful. So, you know. Like, Why are you ordering? These <laughs> are you ordering the entire menu, sir? You're one person. You're not Gordon Ramsay's. You're well, not trying to find your next kitchen right? nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a hungry boy. Well, He's a hungry boy. Yeah, he was. I have something yeah. yeah. And those scones looked glorious. Yeah. Having a scone like that with some clotted cream looking out that window at the. And a nice hot cup of tea. Yeah. When he has his temper tantrum at breakfast, though, and just takes a one bite (laughs) and then just throws his food down, I'm like, what a waste. You know what? I'll eat it. He's there's an argument online that people say that he like if you take like his behavior would show that he's autistic in some form that he's I've, I've on the spectrum yeah, yeah i was I looking up some stuff about too, it yeah. yeah and i thought it was an interesting assessment as to why he's so like you know he's picky on the details and stuff like that yeah i, I think there's a little too. bit more to him than it's like i know i have some friends who are on the spectrum who like you know, they have a schedule and they have things the way that they like them. And when things are disrupted, it's like, oh no, what do I do? Yeah. It, it can cause like the world to like crumble, mm-hmm. the world that you know. So but you know, theory, it's, it's yeah. kind of hard to say whether he had, if he's on the spectrum or not, because, um, because of how he acts with all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's almost like a, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Is she challenging my authority right now? <laughs> yeah, but let's be fair. They're both horrible people. Yeah, I mean, she is poisoning him. Yeah, I was just going to say she does yeah. poison him. So. She's just trying and to And she also manipulates him, him just as much as he they're manipulates just, they're her. They're just two crazy kids. It's In love. Yep. Love? I'd call it codependency. Who are we to say what love is to another couple? You know? You know, some couples, you know, go to the movies. Other couples poison each other. You know, that's just so But it's like a, it's a, she's only poisoning him with, I assume, I don't know 
full spectrum of like mushroom not types, lethal. but I, but I know about to lethal. say she's only poisoning him with mushrooms. She's just making him the, sick with the, the fact that she's poisoning him in general. She's not trying to she murder him. Yeah. They she's have solidifying. The doctor on call. He knows it. He's too famous. She she knows that. I think she knows that he's too famous to like just murder him and outright. They so happy together in the end and that yeah. was like the, the sickest part the, the, the scene where they have the bathroom covered in newspapers yeah. because he's about he's about <laughs> to vomit <laughs> everywhere <laughs> oh god yeah. I love it's hilarious so. <laughs> <laughs> just the fancy rich man just needs it every once in a while you know it's I love romances that take these kind of like sick dark turns because in a world of like so many romance movies where it's like it's like oh happy endings and oh like cutesy romantic and cute favors I'm like I hate it it makes me want to fall This was a happy ending. This was a happy ending brought about by such underhanded and sick means. It's like it starts off very like interesting and then it turns into her like just poisoning him because she wants to solidify the fact that like she wants to feel needed mm-hmm. and wanted and to keep her there she will make him sick in order to do so he clearly wants a mother figure in his life or at least a woman who will challenge the authority that will be there to also take care of him when he needs it a, a mother figure a strong mother figure and they both feel the need in a sick, twisted way, and I love it. I love seeing romance that is just uprooted, and it's not as, like, you know, innocent and perfect or, you know... It was perfect. ...happy as it should be. It's... Yeah, it's sometimes I, it's sick and I it's twisted think, and the lengths you the go. The film thinks it's tender. Yeah, yeah. I write the film takes such a tender. Look. It was actually another strangely like uplifting happy ending movie was Midsummer. Oh. I still haven't seen that. You're just like Brian this is kind of great, it. isn't it? Someone fell asleep. Like I mean. Yeah, you're actually really, really happy for the person. Your boyfriend gets God. And she has shed all of her trauma. a bunch of flowers. And it's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who was a jerk to her from the start who was going to break up with her but then chickened out on it. Because her whole family I saw somebody, yeah. uh, asphyxiated um, themselves. Yeah. No. Say that doesn't seem like your cup of tea. But also, no. I mean, he was... It sounds like a movie I would yeah. watch, Yeah. It's a movie about the dangers of toxic relationships, where Phantom Thread is a movie about the benefits. They embrace it. Yeah. That's good. I like that. We all do some weird thing for our significant others. This is just poisoning. That's our our promo for it right there. (laughs) Gotta learn what kind of mushrooms those are. This is such a minor character, but can we talk about Barbara Rose? Is that the one who wanted, the drunk who wanted the dress? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, no, yeah. That she then goes in and undresses to take the dress back because it's embarrassing to have her wear She's with. asleep. <laughs> oh, well, I don't see what that has to do with it. And then just in, in the dress. That yeah. was so... God forbid, yeah. right? But that's like, that brought them closer together because yeah. someone cared about his work as much as he did. Mm. I, yeah. I love when they're just at the wedding so mad. <laughs> and... 
And her her evil husband who is profiteering off of the Holocaust. Yeah. That's what that was. Yeah. Selling passports. Yes. Oh. I should have picked up on that while watching. Yeah. How dare you not pick up on that? Yeah. How dare you? Shame on you. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, without without this podcast, it's probably a movie I would never it, have watched. It looks like such a stuffy, like yeah. Oscar bait movie, and then you get into it, and you're like, oh no, this is yeah. this is a lie. I saw the trailer and. I saw the trailer and I think I thought the same thing as everybody else. Where I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be like a dark, like psychological thriller." And then I watched. I forced Brian and his parents to watch it with me because I I don't recommend movies to people because I'm always like I have bad taste and I know it. Um, I have fun bad taste and I know it. And I was like, "Oh, Phantom Thread seems like my kind of movie. I don't know. Let's jump out my box a little bit." And they hated it. They hated the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the only one sitting in that room at the, by the end of this whole thing where I was like, I like this movie. I'm like, this movie was great. And then like, uh, his mom didn't care for it. I was like enthralled. <laughs> like, like it did the same thing to me that the second Spider-Verse movie did. Like, I just and then it let you couldn't stop looking at it. it was, I was stunned. I didn't even pause it. And then you got mad because then they like stopped it at such a good, crucial moment. And now I have to wait. Like... Two years. No chance. Oh, two that years. coming out in like five years. Yeah, it's like uh, twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they, so they lied to those to to us. They were like, "Oh, it's gonna come out next year. Don't worry." And then the animators were like, "What are you talking about? We have not are even you started." Nuts. <laughs> yeah, that movie. So, but Phantom Thread did that to me. And when I saw the trailer for this movie years back, I was like. Why is Dan Day Lewis ending his career on some stuffy, yeah. boring, little did you know? Movie. Little, little did, did you know. know? Never doubt P.T. Anderson. It was a movie when where he loved to eat poison. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just mushrooms. <laughs> Thank you again for listening in on the Caffeinated Librarians podcast. We look forward to seeing you next week when we talk about Ten Things I Hate About You as we finish up our romantic comedy series. So get excited. We'll see you next week.